Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm in the Capital Club community, visit our website at www.excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome to the Capital Club podcast brought to you by Excelsior Capital. Today I have with me Jeff Hayes. Jeff has 20 years of experience in the financial industry, co-founded and ran Hayes Advisory, which was an institutional asset management firm until 2019. After he exited that, he launched Tiger 21 in Nashville, which is a peer-to-peer learning group of ultra-high net worth individuals and families. And Jeff, it's always fun to have somebody in my backyard come onto the show. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, happy to do it. Thanks for having me. So I-, I wanted to start with, I like definitions to provide context for the conversation moving forward. It, it seems like this has been a bit of a, the goalposts have definitely moved, at least since I've been in this space. Could you maybe help us differentiate when your mind qualifies folks today as being, you know, ultra high net worth individual, family office level, maybe help us kind of put some zeros behind those numbers to give people a sense of, what we're talking about when we use these terms moving forward today. Yeah, absolutely. So I think you're right. I think the goalposts have moved slightly, and especially as you know, assets have grown over the last several years. I really think of ultra high net worth as $20 million and above. Uh, I find at that $20 million level, people start to have the complexity that would, would define the ultra high net worth market. And then as far as the next level, uh, it's a pretty wide range, really. I think twenty million to three hundred million have very similar issues, just on different scale. Once you get to the three, and and that number is probably moving up a little bit as well, but that three to five hundred million range, 
I think that's where more family office discussions start to come in. And so, you know, really the 300 would be the very low end of family office. And then I think, you know, more realistically, if I, if I were in that scenario, I would probably want to be more like 500 million to really build out a substantial family office. Yeah, I completely agree. When I got into this world 10, 15 years ago, it kind of felt like 100 million was the, the, the conversation starter for should I have a single family office? Should I start internalizing some infrastructure? And I think today it is, I think, 500 plus given the cost, the complexity, and honestly, the regulatory environment that we're going to enter into. I think it's going to continue to be higher and higher with that starting AUM is. But that leads us to a different direction, a trend line that we're seeing of this proliferation of multifamily offices and RIAs that are working with these groups that even though they have quite a bit of, of capital, they don't really have the ability to have their own true family office. And that's where groups like Tiger come into play. Could you maybe just give us a snapshot of what Tiger is, how it started, what you all are doing? Yeah, two two things I'll touch on here that, that are part of my experience. One is a multifamily office. I've consulted with Arlington Family Offices, a firm out of Birmingham, and now has an office in Franklin as well. And multifamily office serves clients in the 50 to billion dollar range, mostly in the, you know, from the 50 to 500 million, it's going to be more serving as the, as the family office. And then above that, a lot of times they'll consult with family offices on providing best structure for their own family office, for their senior family office. So, and then Tiger is a unique uh, peer-to-peer learning organization based out of New York, created, created 20 years ago by an ultra high net worth uh, guy named Michael Sonnenfeld in New York. And what he saw, I think, was that there was this underserved market where there was no place for uh, people to go to have peer-to-peer learning type of opportunities or discussions. So, you know, there were plenty of YPOs, Vistages, EOs, uh, you know, you go down the list, there's a hundred different peer-to-peer learning organizations that talk about business, how to grow your business, how to get rich. But there was no place that I, and I still not seen this really, no other place for somebody that that's already gotten wealthy. You know, I always say there's the get rich business and there's the stay rich business. And there was nobody really addressing the stay rich business in a peer-to-peer learning format. And so Tiger is an organization of about 1,300 members across the country, Canada, expanding into Europe and Asia. But it focuses on people from that 20 million, you know, to really billion dollar level that want a safe place to talk about all things regarding wealth. And a, a couple of comments on what was a really helpful explanation we talked about this on the show a lot, it is just because you, you know, money solves money problems, but it doesn't solve all your problems. And so I think venues like Tiger and organizations like Tiger are really helpful because there are certain conversations that a lot of people in your world just don't want. I mean, they don't want to hear you complaining about, you know, all these different things happening because of the issues that come with having that type of wealth. And everyone needs a safe place to talk about issues that they have, right? And so I think that's a really powerful thing. To go back to what we were talking about when we first got started and moving the goalposts, what are the qualification numbers for Tiger and have they changed over the last 20 years? So Tiger had always said the $10 million range was the level that qualified somebody to be in Tiger. And really that couldn't, 
that wasn't if you owned a private business that was worth 10 million, it was really 10 million of investable assets. Did not have to be liquid, but you you needed 10 million of investable assets. And recently they've bumped that level up to 20 million. Again, based upon feedback from members and well, $10 million, obviously a lot of money. It, it started to feel like it was a little bit below that level that needed this peer-to-peer experience and the exclusivity that goes along with that. Yeah, it's interesting when we caught up over coffee, when I convinced you to come on the show, I was listening to the Thin Green Line book by Paul Sullivan that started initially as an investigation into Tiger and exploration of Tiger, and then kind of evolved into this conversation and journey into the difference between being rich and being wealthy. Right. So I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts and maybe explanation of where you draw that line, maybe from a behavioral standpoint or or what some of the misconceptions are of individuals we think are, you know, living the rich lifestyle versus folks who are, are truly wealthy. Yeah. And before we hit that, Brian, I want to circle back to something you said just a moment ago, as far as, you know, the issues that ultra high net worth people have and, and the lack of opportunity to have a safe place to go. I always tell my members, you know, if you walk next door to your neighbor and say, I just sold my business for $50 million and I'm you know, anxious and I, I don't know what to do with the money and I'm concerned about my 2.0 and, you know, all these other things, you're going to probably get punched in the face. And so I think Tiger is a great spot for you know, people to come and be vulnerable about all these things that they would be embarrassed to say to anybody else, because most of the people are very, very humble people in the group, but they also need a safe place to discuss that. So I just wanted to circle back to that point that you made. Wealthy versus, you know, rich. I think I think you hit on this with the behavioral comment. A lot of people out there that are still operating and, you know, in the get rich business, right? Like their focus is that next business that that, you know, focusing all on the operations of that business. And and they don't think about the other disciplines around wealth. So they're not thinking that much about estate planning or you know, legacy planning or insurance reviews or, you know, how do I invest in all these different asset classes from public, private, you know, crypto, art, wine, real estate, all these venture, all these different types of asset classes. So I think what really defines wealth in our scenario is the level of complexity that people have created in their own personal world. And so, you know, if most of the folks in Tiger have had some type of exit. They have created some wealth, but they've created wealth. And with that wealth has come a lot of complexity. And so where I think of, of wealth is, you know, do you have enough money to screw up your kids and, and future generations? And do you need a plan in place to be successful, successful generationally around the idea of wealth? If you have a few million dollars, obviously that's a lot of money, but you're probably not going to blow up your kids and, and your future generations. If you're talking about 50, 75, 100 million dollars, I always tell people, now that's enough money where you can do some real damage if you don't start to treat that with some respect. And, and I like to use the, uh, the term that, ener- that money has energy, right? And once you have a lot of money, you have a lot of energy and it can go towards really positive things or it can go towards negative things. And so there is this responsibility that comes with a corpus of assets that size 
when I was thinking through this conversation with you, and you alluded to it already, but first-generation wealth creators, entrepreneurs, when you kind of hear the first chapter of the story, it's typically massive concentration into a single asset, be it a company or a stock, et cetera. A lot of leverage, typically, and a huge amount of risk-taking, which is the playbook, in my opinion, to get rich. But it is a much different playbook to maintain that corpus of assets over a multi-generational time horizon. Could, could you maybe comment about how you talk with folks at Tiger who are first-generation wealth creators that are going through this transition of you know, getting to, to staying wealthy? Yeah, I always tell people when they're thinking about Tiger is, you've been in the get-rich business, and that took a specific skill set. A lot of times, like you said, it's, it's a laser focus. It's an undiversified, leveraged approach. Uh, it's excessive risk of betting on yourself. And everybody that I know in Tiger is great at that business. I mean, if, if, you know, the gifting, some people have the gifting to make money. And the folks that I know in Tiger are gifted with the ability to make money. We could drop them in the woods and within six months, they would have something stirring, you know, again, uh, making a lot of money. Where what happens though is when you transition to the stay rich business, a lot of ultra high net worth try to use the same skill set and disciplines that they used to build uh, their wealth. For instance, how many entrepreneurs do you know that have done so well by trusting their intuition as far as what business moves to make? While that is great on the business side, if you're trusting your intuition when considering asset management or you know diversification or those type of things, you're going to find that you pay a lot of stupid tax in the coming years, right? Because that intuition does not translate into sound financial discipline as you become, as you try to really manage your wealth and, you know, create generational success. So let's, let's talk through kind of functionally how Tiger operates. You, you all have regional geographic chapters, and then you kind of draw upon membership from those geographies. You launch cohorts when you have, what's the critical mass number these days for launching a new cohort? I can't remember. Well, you can launch with as little as six members, uh, five to six members. Uh, typically, I think you find you know, the energy levels about right when you get to eight, and then we run up to 15 members before we cap a group. So I launched Tiger in Nashville in 2017. Nobody had an idea of what it was. Nobody had heard of it. But since that time, we've created two full groups of members, which is two groups of 15, and we'll probably be launching a third group in the fall with another chair that, that will facilitate that. A chair's responsibility is a paid position that is in charge of going out and finding the correct members for the group. You know, you don't want a bunch of uh, jerks in the group, so you have to really be thoughtful around what type of person you want in the group. One of the things I've found that's made our group so successful and humble the main key component is everybody in our group has a desire to learn still, has a strong desire for knowledge. And, and when you deal with somebody that, that knows, doesn't think they know everything, what you find is there's a natural humility that comes along with that. And so what has happened with our group, two groups of 15, is it's a real humble environment where nobody's trying to be the big dog or, you know, act like they're the, they, they know everything. People come to the table with the idea of, hey, I want to learn from you and I hope you can learn from me. And, and that's where the, the magic happens. So we create two groups, 15 right now. Maybe we'll launch a third group in the coming months. But what we do is we meet once a month 
And we talk around all things regarding wealth. So that could be, we look at a lot of investment deals, you know, we, and that could be discussion around public, private, venture, or like I said, all kinds of different things. We'll have educational resources that we bring in. So, you know, crypto, when we started, was a relatively unknown thing. One of the things you'll find at Tiger is you're on the cutting edge because somebody always wants to know about what the next thing coming in. So, you know, our group, while many people are just now discovering crypto that are in that demographic, our group is is well-read, well-versed on crypto and all the things coming through, metaverse, NFTs, you know, all these new type of uh, technologies out there relatively new. We'll talk about everything from how to invest in art to wine to what's happening with autonomous cars, investing in space. Really, the way I try to structure it is just stay on the cutting edge of of all things regarding investing and um, bring in resources to help facilitate that. So that's that's a piece of the meeting. We'll then have each member do what's called a portfolio defense where they lay out to the group. And again, there is extreme measures to protect confidentiality and it's a non-solicitation zone. So you can't be you know pitching your buddies about your new uh, deal. But once a month, a member will present their entire financial p- picture to the group. How much money they have, how much money they spend, how much money they give, what have they done for their estate plan, insurance planning, how are they talking to their kids about wealth, really just anything that goes along with your financial picture, you stand up and you drop your towel and you just tell everybody everything. And then you have this board of advisors of peers that have no vested interest in in making money off you, give you feedback around that, around your financial needs and, and whatever questions have come up as you've done the work around preparing for that. So uh, that by far is the most impactful part of the discussion. And then we'll, we'll address issues and opportunities. So, you know, whatever issues come up, one guy could say, hey, I've got a real estate deal. I'm thinking about investing in. What do you think? Or, you know, my kids get upset when they have to fly commercial. How do I yeah, say so it could be really anything around the discussion of wealth that peer-to-peer learning could assist and I, I facilitate that. And last thing I'll say, Brian, is one, you know, the meetings are the, the key core component, but what has happened in Nashville is we have created this environment where cross, you know, communication throughout meetings, throughout groups, both groups talk to each other, both groups help each other with with different things. So it's the glue that has formed over the last five years has really been exciting for me to watch because now there's a deep level of appreciation and friendships and relationships that have evolved through that. And you're really in the catbird seat in terms of just the growth Nashville's experiencing. I'm sure you'll have a really good community membership as you expand. I want to dig a little bit deeper on the portfolio defense, a very intimidating, uncomfortable thing for a lot of people. Not only to just be vulnerable about who you are and what you do, but to, like you said, open the kimono and just show everything to everybody. would love to just hear your thoughts about kind of the growth that takes place during those sessions and how powerful they can be for many people. Yeah. So this is not a conversation you're going to have with most people, right? Here's how much money I have. Here's how I give money away. Probably not even with your own family. Right. A lot of times, not with your own family, you, even things that you might not even share with your spouse. You're up here in front of this group of people sharing uh, your fears about contentment, you know, of, 
hey, I used to get juiced up because I had this business I was running and now I've got all this money, but I'm bored out of my mind. Yeah, all these things that you don't share with people are revealed in these presentations. And so you're exactly right. A lot of times when I tell people that that's part of what their membership will entail, their immediate pushback is, oh, hold on, you know, I'm not doing that. Or And some people that disqualifies immediately. But those that will have the courage to get over that hump find that it's their most impactful thing that they do in the group, both for themselves and for us. That's how we learn more than anything as observers of somebody's situation, because these guys don't do things the traditional way, you know, and gals, they take different approaches and it's fascinating for us to get to sit in on that and and learn from that. So, but to your point, the vulnerability, one of the things we do as well is every person that is doing that writes their life story either through writing themselves or through an interview process where we have it written for them. And so what's so cool about that is, you know, you get to know these folks on such a intimate level and get to really see what's going on in their lives. So it is so intimidating, but to a person after they've done it, they'll say that was by far the best experience they've ever had in regards to, you know, a process in regards to wealth. It is. You use the term 2.0. There's a, I remember when I first got into the business, somebody, I think it was an investment banker friend of mine said that, you know, the guy that just sold this company for $25 million is the saddest guy in town. Can you talk a little bit about your experience dealing with people that have had these big liquidity events, big exits that when many folks read about in the paper, they think, oh, this person is now living the good life, but it's much more complex than that for many people. And it can be a very challenging thing for them to go through. Well, here's the rub. You've just sold your company for $50 million, let's say, and you no longer have the survival of, you know, the, the monetary financial driver to push you anymore, right? So what happens is people think, okay, I'm going to go play golf and go out on a boat and I'm going to do all these things. Well, that lasts about three months before either their spouse is telling them, please get out of their face, spending <laughs> way too much time with them. You know, their golf game is, you know, frustrating them. And so that doesn't work. And so, but the rub is this, Brian, you, most of these people have worked 60, 70, 80 hours a week to get to where they are. And they no longer want to work in that capacity. However, if they're not all in, in a, in a business that's really getting them juiced up, which would in, require that type of effort, then it's not fulfilling. And so they'll start these little things, you know, to try to get their 2.0 going, but it just doesn't get the juices flowing. And so ultimately they find a real level of discontent a lot of times um, in this phase of life. Want to learn more about investing in alternatives? Get started by joining the Capital Club, where you'll get exclusive access to alternative investment opportunities, premium content and education, and an affinity peer-to-peer network of industry professionals. You can sign up by going to our website at www.excelsiorgp.com. And so much of their identity is tied up into the the venture they launched. Yeah. And, And oftentimes, like you said, it's all consuming. So there are no hobbies. There are no outside interests. Oftentimes, they, they've they had to strain the relationship with their family because they've been working so hard. And then you shut that down 
immediately and it's at this void, right? So how do you all work to help folks kind of find that purpose, fill that void, get them to, you know, reinvigorate it into life, you know, through this kind of tiger community? I think the key is finding a new purpose. So most of the people that have sold a business, all their accolades, all their the reason for living has been performance driven. You know, that's been their motivator. So I'm, I go from here to here to here to here. And, and every, you know, I'm, I keep hitting these goals and I'm, I'm kicking butt and I'm, I am valuable because I'm a performer. That is what I find the majority of people's value is in their own mind. So what you ultimately have to do to be successful in a 2.0 is reset your values and find a different way to view uh, what makes you successful. A lot of people, if they're not performing, they feel super guilty. So they may be on a yacht in the middle of the you know, Mediterranean, but they're guilty that they're not working and doing. And so I think resetting your mindset to find a different uh, place to feel valuable, whether that's through family, whether that's through a spiritual you know, connection, whether that is through philanthropy and really getting involved in making an impact or making a difference. But somewhere, somehow, you have to reframe your value proposition to where it's no longer about your performance and it's more about something else that has a deeper, more impactful meeting. And a lot of times, of course, you know, liquidity events come about the same time as a midlife crisis hits, right? So we have the double whammy of I'm older, you know, what's my second mountain going to be? And that struggle to find the second mountain is very hard. What I find is a lot of people in this scenario, once they sold out, their their new pursuit becomes, okay, how how big can I make the scoreboard? You know, how much how many points can I put on the board with assets? And they know they're never going to spend this money and they don't really want to give it to their kids, but it becomes their reason for existence you know, because they no longer have the business performance thing. And so I think, <clears throat> I think that's a uh, pers- empty pursuit. <laughs> so ultimately you've got to find something else that provides value. And, and again, most of that cannot be driven by me or anybody else. It has to be just discussion, self-work, um, you know, doing work on yourself and defining what you want this second mountain to look like. Yeah. In the, in YPO world, there's a saying that somebody's always got a bigger plan. So if you get into the keeping up with the Joneses race, that's a treadmill to nowhere. And that's what I'm kind of hearing from you in terms of how you try to redirect some of these energies. Where do you find it to be successful? Is it is it usually through some type of philanthropic activity? Is it through giving? Is it thinking through legacy with G2, G3? And onward, where do you find folks to have the most success when they're trying to put together the structure for their 2.0? Yeah. The difficult thing is no matter what pursuit you you start going after, whether it's philanthropic or whether it's, you know, family planning, whatever it is, until you change the performance mindset, you're going to fall into the same trap, right? You're going to never reach the goal line. And so... I feel like, and this is a squishy topic, I guess, but I feel like it's it's really much more about becoming comfortable with who you are and finding a new a, n- a new purpose internally. So if you can get the, the purpose internally figured out, 
to where you're finding value through relationships, let's say. You know, if you're if you're analyzing your success for the year and you say, Man, I had I had coffee with, you know, fifty different people. I mentored six people. My three closest friends and I did X, Y, and Z. My wife and I really, you know, I think if you can start to judge yourself on something like that, let's say, then, you know, that's where you start to really be able to find value and and contentment. So externally, if you do that, then I think it's easier to succeed, you know, either with philanthropy or whatever direction you you decide to go. But I really do think the main key is more internal rather than external. And once you determine the internal and fix and and, uh, reset the internal, then I believe the external becomes much more fulfilling and 2.0 works at that point in time. And that'd be including the family dynamics. I assume there's a lot of time and energy spent talking about relationship with your spouse, relationship with your children, grandchildren, et cetera. Yeah. So let's say for your 2.0, you, you kind of re, repurpose and say, okay, I want to, for the next 20 years of my life, impact people in a very positive way. So maybe that is you take on a mentorship role. Probably if, if, if you do it well, I think it's going to be you're going to engage with your children on a deeper level and your grandchildren in a, on a deeper level and help them with the, all the things that come along with wealth, you know, with all the legacy type of things. And so, yeah, I think, I think that can be a very important piece as you repurpose. A, a question I forgot to ask in my outline that I want to go back to regarding the portfolio of defense. Where do you see the typically the most gaps? What are the fact patterns where when people actually do open up in that peer setting, the things that are, are, are usually missing from these folks? And it, it could be insurance. It could be third-party representation, estate planning, whatever. Where do you see the biggest holes typically? It depends. I, what, what is so interesting, I always tell people in my groups I have, everybody in there is at least a five on the one to 10 entrepreneur scale, right? Like everybody in there is an entrepreneur on some level. Some are fives and some are tens and some are in between, right? So if you have a 10 entrepreneur, they are fun people to be around. They're, they're you know, riverboat gamblers. They, they never found a risk they didn't love. You know, it's, it's a lot of fun to have these people in the group because their energy is, is contagious. But when they do their portfolio defense, you can fully expect their estate plan will be written on a napkin. You know, they have no, in- I mean, it's just, you know, a complete mess, disorganized all over the place. My fives typically are more thoughtful around those type of things. And if I saw a weakness there, most of the time that's more around not updating those type of documents, like with consideration of whatever new legislation's out there, not doing any legacy planning. So educating their kids around how to handle wealth. So it's exciting to see both wherever you're on that spectrum to be affected by the PD, because you know, the next year you get up, you're going to be held accountable for everything we talked about that, you know, and so immediately when people join Tiger, their estate plan gets reviewed. Not because I tell them to, it's because they don't want to get up in front of everybody and and just have a complete mess, you know, going forward. They have to start thinking about legacy planning. Most people have not talked about their kids. So talk to their kids about how much money they have or so when, how, what do you do to instill the values, your values cross generation, you know, so your values of the wealth creator flow down, not only to your kids who have seen you earn it and work for it, 
but your grandkids who now are growing up in a wealthy environment. So I think it's all across the board. But what's so exciting about Tiger is you just see the growth across the years of people locking down their different disciplines around wealth. Some people that's minor work and a lot of them it's major work to get an estate plan, to to get the proper insurance, to uh, diversify. You know, these guys are, they like the juice, so they don't want to diversify. Uh, they want to bet on themselves. So it all depends on where you are on that pendulum. But I find my 10 entrepreneurs are a complete mess initially. My fives are kind of a mess, but everybody over the course of a few years, you'll see they become locked down as they, as they participate in Tiger. And it's really because of peer pressure. Which is this usually the best leverage, right? <laughs> you know, you don't want to walk Absolutely. into that room with other people that you respect and you consider a peer and, and realize that you're way behind the pack. Obviously, you're considering launching this next cohort, growing the membership is a key component, but are there other things that Tiger's working on that are exciting in, in your opinion from a kind of long-term strategy perspective? Yeah, so to address the cohort, the, the, the next group, you mentioned this earlier, we have so many people moving here from New York, California, Chicago, you know, and also Tiger's not in Mississippi, Arkansas, you know, Alabama. And so what's exciting for me in Nashville is to have all these new ideas and people coming in. And so I want to grow the network as big as we can grow it. The more people we have to share experience with, the, the stronger it is. So I think Nashville will have three, four or five groups in the coming years. And it's 30, it costs $33,000 to be a member every year. And so I always ask members at the end of their year term, I say, look, if you haven't gotten $33,000 of value out of this, don't renew. And our renewal rate is, is well above 90%. So that just shows you the value being generated. And I think the more groups we have, the better that will be and the more valuable it becomes. Secondly, Tiger continues to evolve as an organization as well. I believe when in this, you know, is my opinion, this is not kind of historical record, but I, I, I would think that when Tiger was created, it was mostly about the investments. How do I, you know, a matter of fact, Tiger stood for the investment group for enhanced returns in the 21st century. That was how it originally the name came about. Now what Tiger's about is all things regarding wealth. So it could be about investing. We still do a lot of discussion around that, but we could very well be talking about 2.0s and legacy planning. I think the most impactful thing we've done is so many members of my group have created plans to talk to their kids and grandkids that would have never have existed. That wasn't a real focus early on in Tiger, but now all things around wealth is, is what Tiger focuses on. So exciting things in Tiger's future. They're expanding in Europe, Asia. They're more than likely going to create some type of investment platform that will house ideas so that we're not only sharing ideas locally, but we'll share them, you know, across the network. We have conferences where we get together and meet. There's only 1,300 members right now. So, and you can visit any group you want. So it's really an open network once you're in it everybody's wide open to working with you as long as you don't solicit them, and, you know, uh, and as long as you're confidential. So Tiger's taking that next step in health and wellness. We talk a lot about that longevity. So it's really becoming a much more all-inclusive approach to wealth versus just, hey, how do I maximize my returns? 
very similar to what we're seeing play out in just the wealth management world. It's becoming, it's not just about managing assets. It's about holistic wealth, right? From everything from trust of the states to tax to next gen to mindfulness, wellness, et cetera. So I'm sure that's a reflection of everything that's happening. As we wind down here, you always have really cool speakers. You're obviously very cutting edge in terms of alternatives and investments. What media do you consume personally? How do you stay abreast of all these different developments that are occurring within the the wealth management, financial advisory, and investment world? Yeah, most of my ideas, I'm a networker uh, uh, by trade. And you and I had coffee, what? Yeah, we have coffee every few months. I do that with a with a lot of thought leaders in the industry to get an idea of what's really happening out there. So, you know, like the, we just had recent discussions around the metaverse and NFTs. And my job, I feel like my role really is to continue to grow this group in all areas. So whether that be, hey, there's new legislation coming down, you know, regarding estate planning, which of course was a big talk last year, right? or there's new technologies coming out, or what's, what's Web3, you know, what's cryptocurrency, what are new ideas around investing in general, you know, valuations, inflation discussions. So I really have to stay on top of uh, all those different areas. And I do it mostly, of course, I read a lot, but I do it mostly by connecting with people in my network that I trust and learning from them and, and, and getting feedback from, from them. So that's, that's been my approach because I enjoy, I enjoy those conversations. Well, I owe you lunch for calling me a thought leader or at least maybe <laughs> potentially referring to me as one. So I appreciate that. This has been awesome. I want to thank you. This is a long time coming. I've been wanting to get you on the show for a while. I think what Tiger's doing is really cool. And I've attended some of your events and they're terrific. So if people are, want to learn more about Tiger, if they're, they're based in the Southeast or some of the markets you cover, or your work with Arlington, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you and to learn more? Yeah. Well, quickly on Arlington, I think where a multifamily office really adds value is, is similar to Tiger. You know, most of these ultra net worth families, uh, they have assets all over the place. If you ask them what their performance was over the last year, they couldn't tell you within 10%. They're into, they have LLCs that, you know, they're probably spending money out of the wrong LLCs. They don't have it. They might have a financial advisor, but he only can speak on public equities, doesn't really have expertise across all the asset classes, whether it be crypto or privates or venture or whatever else. So estate planning reviews, we all get our estate plan. We put it in the drawer. We never look at it again. So I think Tiger, Arlington, all these things. And the reason I do it is because I feel like it, you know, people laugh at me when I say I, my, the way I serve is by helping ultra network people, but it is a passion of mine because I see so much struggle in this area. And so both Tiger and Arlington are similar in that the goal is to really just help people get organized and get knowledgeable around all things regarding wealth so that they can have generational success. And the way I think about my approach is if I can keep second, third generations from becoming a mess because of something we've done either through proper planning, legacy discussions, you know, health and wellness, whatever it is, it's hugely impactful to our world. So that's kind of my approach to it. And I also tell people, you don't sell people in the ultra net worst space. So, you know, 
it's really just making people aware of what we're doing. And if somebody's interested, you know, reaching out. So uh, you can contact me directly at so Jeff at, J, at jhconsulting.llc. And also the Tiger website. So it's tiger21.com, uh, arlingtonfamilyoffices.com. So you can find information in both those places. Yeah, and we'll be sure to include some of the show notes as well. Jeff, I want to thank you for taking the time. Like you said, you are an inveterate networker. We met years ago and I stayed in touch. And I think what you're doing now is perfect for your skill set and personality. And I know some of the members of your groups have really enjoyed the whole Tiger community. So kudos to you. Thank you again for doing this. And uh, I'm sure we'll be grabbing coffee in a, in a few months. So we'll swap ideas about what's happening out in the world. That sounds great, Brian. I appreciate the time. appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Capital Club. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.